Uh, now, guys, one of, the, um, one of the amazing things about being part of the church is that we worship a God who both speaks and acts. We worship a God who speaks. He, he tells us about himself. Uh, he tells us about ourselves and he tells us about the world in which we live. We worship a God who acts. He creates, he transforms, he sustains. And in the Old Testament, that's the first part, the early part of the Bible. In the Old Testament, the prime place of worship for this speaking and acting God was the temple. And we're going to focus in on the temple today. And at the point that we enter the biblical story today, the people of God had been exiled. They'd been removed from their land. They'd been taken elsewhere. So the people of God had been exiled. The temple of God had been destroyed. However, though the people of God had been exiled, the God of the people was very much present. And though the temple of God had been destroyed, the God of the temple was very much alive. And today, friends, we see what happened. So we're three weeks into Project Temple Rebuild. So um, those of you who were here last week, you'd have heard James speak to us from uh, the book of Haggai chapter one. And that was the beginning of Project Temple Rebuild. We are now three weeks in. That's where we join the action. So I'm going to read for us uh, Haggai chapter two, verses one through to nine. Actually, I'm going to have a little swig. Okay, so Haggai chapter two, verses one through to nine. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people and say, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord, be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. It is good to read God's word. As we reflect on that passage, guys, there are three uh, primary things that we are going to focus in on. And the first is the reality of discouragement. Now, it's worth bearing in mind that the people that uh, God, through the prophet Haggai, is speaking to, they have been away from their own land for more than 70 years. They have been exiled and removed, and some have returned. So they've been away for a very, very long time. And some of the older generation would have had sweet childhood memories of the temple. They may have remembered the, the, the exquisite craftsmanship. They would have maybe remembered just the, the, the grandness of the temple, the, the gold and the silver and all the uh, sparkly, shiny things. They would have had sweet childhood memories of the temple, maybe even some of the sights and the sounds and the smells. 
would have been in their bones, those years, those long, long years in exile in Babylon. I can imagine, actually, over that time, they would have had conversations with one another. They would have thought about life back home in Jerusalem. They would have thought and talked about the temple. It would have given them great comfort in those times away from home. Some of the people would have been born in captivity. They never would have seen Jerusalem. They would have seen the temple. Yet they would have grown up on some of the stories. Now, a, a little bit about my own story. So my, um, my family, the uh, older generations of my family came to the UK from the West Indies in the 50s and 60s and 70s. And um, they spent a lot of time, a lot of time talking about the West Indies. So people who lived in the UK, they spent a lot of time talking about home. But I absolutely loved hearing those stories. And I heard them so much that I almost felt like I'd, I'd been myself. I've never been, but I've heard so many stories. I feel like I could almost reach out and touch particular places and particular people. I can imagine it might have been the same for some of these guys. Never been to Jerusalem before, never seen the temple, but grown up on some of the stories. So for both the older generations who'd seen it with their own eyes and the younger generations who'd only heard the stories, how amazing then to return to Jerusalem. How amazing to return to Jerusalem. They were brought back to Jerusalem. And as um, uh, James told us last week, there was a bit of a gap. They were brought back uh, and the intention was, you guys need to rebuild the walls, rebuild the temples. It took them quite a while to get going, more than 14 years to get going. They eventually got going. Project Temple Rebuild started. And as I said, uh, we are three weeks into Project Temple Rebuild. Let's take a look at verse three. So Haggai chapter two, verse three says this. So this is God speaking through Haggai the prophet to his people. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Just hold that thought for a moment. We're going to turn to Ezra chapter 3. So Ezra recounts uh, the same events or similar events from a slightly different angle. So Ezra chapter 3 verse 11 says this. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the father's houses, old men who'd seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy. So that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of people's weeping, for the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. The people were very, very, very aware of the situation that they were in. They had no need for anyone uh, to, to point out the situation that they were in. And yet God asks a question. And I love some of the questions that God asks in the Bible. I love the fact that God doesn't sweep things under the carpet or try to put a spin on things. He asks a very direct question. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How does it seem to you now? Does it not seem as nothing. God puts his finger on it. He turns up the volume. He increases the intensity in terms of what they were already feeling. And we get this outpouring of emotion. And there's a slightly confused outpouring of emotion. There's a, there's a sense of joy and, uh, and excitement, but there's also a sense of sadness 
and mourning and grieving. And I want to say, I think that's entirely understandable, given what they've been through. You see, I would say the outpouring of emotion stems from the fact that they have the realisation that this is not that. This is not that. This situation that they are in, surrounded by rubble, we've got to rebuild this temple, but it's just rubble and it's all dusty and it's all really hard and doesn't seem like much is happening. And we remember, or we've heard the stories of the good old days, the glorious days, the magnificent days, the days of uh, King Solomon, the golden age. This is not that. And it's quite likely that's where the outpouring of emotion comes from. And I think we too, at times, grapple with the sense that this is not that. We hear stories, don't we? We hear stories of God's magnificent work in in history in days gone by. Or stories, actually, of what God is doing now, but elsewhere. And in some senses, at times, we are encouraged. We think, isn't that amazing? Praise God. So, so good to hear what he's done and what he's doing. And we're thankful, certainly, for what we have. We must be thankful for what we have. God has done amazing things, can I just say, in this church over the past few years, which we are immensely thankful for. But though we are often stirred and encouraged and inspired when we hear stories of what God has done and what God is doing elsewhere, there are times, if we're totally honest with ourselves, where we have this little ache, this little little tinge in our hearts. We're like, that's fantastic, but you know what? God, why is it not happening in my life? Why is it not happening in my workplace, in my school, in my family? I desperately want more of your glory, more of your honour, more, more of you where I am. That's fantastic, God, what you've done there and then. Ah, oh, but I desperately want it here. And maybe these guys were going through some of that, right? This sense that this is not that. I want to say to us this morning, friends, that we ought to learn that it is good both to weep and to rejoice. It is good both to weep and to rejoice. And many of you here have wept for years and years and years and years. There are things that you've heard about, things that you personally have experienced that you would love to see God do again. And maybe some of those, some of those things that have been in your heart, some of those dreams, you've just kind of let go by the wayside. You've kind of squashed and pushed those things down because the pain is too much. I want to say, friends, it is good both to weep and to rejoice. However, we must be wary. We must be wary because the difference between this and that sometimes can lead to the temptation to down tools. Just imagine a situation that these guys were in. They're working away, working really, really, really hard. And if you remember chapter one, chapter one tells us actually that there was a bit of a resource problem. God had withheld some resources from them. Okay, they're working really, really, really hard and they're thinking about the previous temple and they're realizing what we're doing here seems a far cry from that. The temptation potentially popped into their minds. I don't know whether they would have articulated this to one another, but the question begins to arise. Shall we just kind of just sort of leave it be? You know, we ask the question, is Given the difference between what we're experiencing and what we've heard, we ask the question, is God here? Is God here? Is God interested? Is God involved? I can see how he was involved in that stuff over there. But this feels so small, so insignificant, so minor. Is God's presence with us? Does it make any difference if we just step back, if we just pedal back? 
Why not just turn and do our own thing? James talked about the, uh, the, the fact that many of these people gave focus to building up their own panelled houses whilst the house of God remained in ruins. It's a question that probably word around their heads. It might be a question for many of us at times. We think, is there actually any point? Is God with us? Is God involved? I want to say, friends, that the answer is emphatic. So let's read on. Chapter 2, verse 4. Be strong. God says, be strong. God says, work. When God speaks, he uses at times both saying words and doing words. Saying words and doing words. Both saying words and doing words are important. They're both important and they're both related. Now, in a room this size, I I can imagine we all have slightly different approaches. Some of us prefer God's saying words. Some of us prefer God's doing words. But whether you prefer his saying words or his doing words, I want to say that both are immensely important. We need to listen and hear what he has to say and respond accordingly. Doing words. Be strong and work. Saying words. In fact, before we get to the saying words, I'm going to tell you about a favourite um, one, a favourite game of mine. It's called Monopoly Deal. Anyone familiar with Monopoly Deal? Yeah. A few of you. So it's basically Monopoly, but more fun, right? Um, <laughs> um, it's a card-based game. But whenever I play Monopoly Deal, if I look at my hand, uh, and there are two types of card that if I have them in my hand, it completely changes the game for me. It changes my entire approach, my entire demeanor. Whatever else is happening on the game board, whatever other people are doing, obviously I'm, I'm looking and I'm thinking, whatever else is happening, I'm fairly relaxed if I have one of two of these cards in my hand. So the first one is called a just say no. It's basically like a, an invincibility thing. It kind of stops anyone doing anything else to you. Just throw it on a just say no with a smirk on your face. Um, The other one, I think it's called a a deal breaker. Uh, And I think with a deal breaker, you can basically take any set of properties from someone else. And regardless of what's happening out there on the, on the, Vary, is that wrong? That's not quite right. It is right. Sorry, it is right. Sorry for drawing attention to you. I apologize. (laughs) Let's scrap the past five seconds. That didn't happen. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. Deal breaker. Um, But if I have either of those cards in my hand, it completely changes my approach to the game. There's a level of security and a level of confidence there because I know that I have two cards in my hand that essentially function as game changers. They change the game. For the people of God, these following saying words act as a game changer. Four words, I am with you, changes everything. Absolutely everything. The truth that those words speak about ought to transform the entire demeanor and posture of those who love God. Absolutely ought to transform us. And friends, you know, circumstances are not the measure of whether God is with us or not. And that's the kind of thing that we can be aware of in our, in our minds. But the stuff of day to day, the challenges of day to day, the challenges of health and the challenges of finances and the challenges of relationships and the challenges of work, the kind of buffeting that happens to us in life means oftentimes circumstances dictate whether, whether or not we believe that God is with us. I want to say today that circumstances do not determine whether or not God is with us. God's word does. And one of the things that we need to do as we mature, as we grow as followers of Jesus, is learn to stand on God's 
word. We need to learn how to help one another to stand on God's word. God, the source of all strength, all strength is with you. Therefore, be strong. God, who empowered um, Daniel and Moses and Deborah and uh, Elijah, and the list goes on and on and on and on. The God who empowered all of those people is with you. Therefore, work. You see, it's the saying words that give life and energy to the doing words. God is with you. Why is this so important? Well, the work of rebuilding was not glamorous. Um, I've not spent much time on a construction um, site myself. Um, But I can imagine it's not particularly glamorous. I can imagine it would have been very, very hard work, hard and long work. We're talking that, you know, back, back then we didn't have all, all the fancy machinery that we do have now, okay? Hard, back-breaking work. It was not glamorous. It was hard. Serving God's purposes, whatever that looks like, is not glamorous. It is hard. And there's no way of kind of me sort of sugarcoating that or toning that down. It's just the truth. It is hard. And we need to hear that. Serving God's purpose is not glamorous, it is hard. That is a testimony of people in the Bible, people throughout history, they would say the same thing. We hear the stories and we're amazed and we're excited and we fail to recognize the fact that there's a lot of hard work that goes on underneath that we don't ever see or ever hear. The Apostle Paul, um, he he wrote to many churches, helped to start loads of churches, um, helped to write quite a bit of the Bible. The Apostle Paul, Um, was often really open with some of the challenges, not in a kind of complaining way, not in a kind of boasting way. He was just really open and honest as he wrote to different churches or different people. And he would say, this is hard work. I've been um, shipwrecked, I've been stoned, I've been thrown out of this city. I had this situation where um, leaders that I invested in, they left me and ran away. Other situation where the church I helped to start, they just basically turned their back on me. It is hard work. What God has called us to do is hard work. And what I want to say to us this morning is that where God has placed you, work. Because oftentimes a sense can be, well, the grass is probably greener elsewhere. And I think, just, I think James did a fantastic job uh, last week. There's always that sense that if I get that job or that relationship or move to this place or circumstances change, then I will be in a position to serve God and his purposes. Where God has placed you, work. There is no shortage, no shortage of stuff to do, can I just say. No shortage of stuff to do. Wherever there are people, there is God's work to do. And there are a lot of people in the world. So we've heard the reality of discouragement. We've heard the call to work. Finally, uh, we hear the hope of rejoicing. The people of God are called not only to work, but to watch God work and rejoice. Um, I had the privilege of being part of a um, a connect group with with John and some others a little while ago. We were um, reading a bit of a book group around some of uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, Narnia Chronicles at a fantastic time together. And in the first, depends on whether you want to call it the first one or not, we won't get into that. One of them called The Magician's Nephew. Um, you, there's, a, there's basically a scene where um, loads of people from our, our world, our reality, our earth, um, are present at the, uh, at the creation of the land of Narnia. 
and you have Aslan the lion who sings a wonderful, beautiful song. And as he sings this exquisite song, the world of, Lan- uh, the world of Narnia comes into being. And um, some of the people, people there are kind of, kind of you know, jostling and saying, what on earth is going on? What's that sound? What we do? Should we make a plan? Where are we? I don't really understand. One of them who has more sense than anyone else is a cab driver, says, look, everyone, look, guys, just pipe down for a moment. Let's just listen to the music. Let's just enjoy the music. And the cab driver got it entirely right. It wasn't the time for working. It wasn't the time for planning. It was a time for listening and enjoying. There is a time for us to work. There is also a time for us to watch and wait and see God at work. See God doing the kind of things that only God can do. Let's just look at what it is that God says that he is going to do. Yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. I don't know if you noticed just in that that little section there, the number of times I was used. The sense that God is going to do this. 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 God is doing the things that only God can do. So the people will rebuild the temple. God will fill the temple. I said it again. The people will rebuild the temple. God will fill the temple. You know, God loves collaboration. It's all the way throughout the Bible. He absolutely loves collaboration. Absolutely loves it. And he's wanting to bring his people in. He's wanting to bring his people in to be involved in what he's doing. What a tremendous blessing and an honor to be invited in by God to work with him, to be involved in his purposes. What a tremendous honor. And yet we don't always see it as a tremendous honor, do we? These guys did not necessarily see it as a tremendous honor. Verse, uh, chapter one tells us that they were off wanting to do their own solo projects, basically. God had called them. He's spoken really powerfully and really clearly, but they were off doing their own thing. It's, it's okay, God, I've got my little, my side hustle thing here and I've just got time for that and, and I'm, I'm not really sure about what you're doing. They were focused in, their lives had become so insular, so small, so inward, looking when what was offered to them was so much bigger and so much better. And I want to say to all of us this morning, let's not settle for less. Because the reality is what we hear on the news, what we hear on social media, what we maybe even hear from friends and from family, is that you need to focus on yourself. Focus on yourself and your own goals and your own dreams and building your own brand. And it it sounds really nice, doesn't it? It sounds quite, it kind of does a little something in us. Sounds lovely. But what I want to say to us is that what God has called us to is so much bigger and so much better than any any kind of personal, individual, just me thing. Let us not settle for less. The people will rebuild the temple. God will fill the temple. You know, the true glory of the first temple wasn't actually the gold and the silver. It wasn't the gold and the silver, it was God himself. Now, don't get me wrong, there's plenty of gold and silver and sparkly, shiny things. Absolutely. But we're told that when the first temple was built, um, Solomon and uh, the priests and the singers went into the temple to worship God. And it says that as they worshiped God, the, the glory of God, the presence of God, the glory of God filled the place, absolutely filled the place. 
The most magnificent thing about that first temple was not the gold, the silver, the precious stones. It was the fact that God himself was present there. And God says again, I will restore that stuff, that stuff that's been taken away, been removed from you. I will restore the gold, the silver, the precious stones, but I will also fill the temple myself. Because the reality is without God, it would only be a pretty building. And pretty buildings are nice, don't get me wrong, but it would only ultimately be a pretty building. And you know, in this city, we have remnants of some of God's past work. Even in this past week, um, going past Muller Road and um, uh, Wesley Road and near where I live, uh, we have Whitfield Road and Hannamore Primary School is near me. These are names of followers of Jesus who in days gone by uh, did amazing things for God and had a tremendous impact on this city. And in some senses, I love the fact that some of their names are still kind of like engraved across the city. It's wonderful in some ways. But I also think to myself, I don't just want like names on roads and, and, and names on primary schools. I want the glory of God, the glory of the God that they knew and loved and served to be in this city. I want God's name to be written on the hearts of men and women and children. So friends, I say, let's not settle for the, the, the remnants. Let's not settle for the, the, the kind of uh, the outside stuff or the shell. Let, let's, let's contend for the presence and the glory of God in this city. A few hundred years after the temple was built, it had been um, expanded and, and built on a little bit. Um, a few hundred years after it was built, God himself walked into the temple on two legs. He walked into the temple, but that temple would in fact, in fact be destroyed about 40 years later. It'd be destroyed, never to be rebuilt. So it begs the question, what was the point? What was the point? Why, why, were these, why did God call them to work on this temple that ultimately would be destroyed and then never rebuilt? What was the point? Well, the point, friends, is that the temple served a purpose. It was both a picture and preparation, a picture and preparation for Jesus. You see, in the temple, the temple would be the, the, the place to which humanity would have access to God. It'd be through the temple that worship to God would be offered. It'd be through the temple that, that peace with God would be possible with a sacrificial system. But when Jesus arrived, it would be through Jesus that humanity would have access to God. Through Jesus that worship would be offered. Through Jesus that we could have peace with God. God. And as he died on the cross, as his, uh, the nails were kind of put through his hands and his feet and life drained away from him, as he took his last breath, he said, it is finished. And then this is the middle of the day, this is the afternoon, all of a sudden there is darkness across the face of the land. There's darkness, there's some crazy stuff. The Bible talks about how um, there was like an earthquake and people came up out of graves, dead people were alive again. But here's the thing. The Bible also tells us that the temple curtain was torn. A big, thick, heavy curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. And what that was telling us was that, that the way is now open. The way between God and humanity is now open. The, the temple itself was giving testimony to the reality that a new age was dawning. Because previously, only one person could go into the Holy of Holies and once a year, that was the high priest. The high priest was the only person who could go that close into the presence of God once a year. And the high priest had to uh, uh, make sacrifice for his own sin, his own wrongdoing in order to approach God, but also sacrifice for everyone else. But friends with Jesus, 
The arrival of Jesus, the, the, the true and perfect and eternal temple ultimately. Jesus was the perfect priest. You see, Jesus made one sacrifice, one time forever. And because he had no sin, he had no wrongdoing, he did not have to make sacrifice for himself. He was already able to come into the very presence of God. He made sacrifice for each and every one of us so that we could have relationship with God. One sacrifice, one time, perfect priest, and all people could get in on it. All people from across the globe could get in on this amazing relationship with God. The old order had gone, the new had come. The temple was built to prepare the way for the true and perfect temple. And his name is Jesus. This is why they were working. This was the very purpose for what they were doing. The glory of the latter house was greater than the glory of the former house. You know, the Bible tells us that the church is in Christ. It's a phrase that pops up throughout the New Testament, in Christ, in Christ. The church is in Christ. The church is also filled by the Spirit. What that therefore means is that the glory of God is among us. It's not about Bradley Stoke Community School. It's, it's about us as his people. The glory of God is among us. I just want to let that sit with you for, for a little while. God's glory is among us. Through the church, God's glory is seen and rejoiced in. What would it look like for God's glory to fill this city through his church? You know, the Bible, a, a prophet um, in the old Bible says that one day the glory of the Lord will be over all the earth as the waters cover the sea. How is this world going to be changed, transformed? How is God going to be known and glorified and magnified? Well, he's decided to do it through his church. What a tremendous honor and privilege to be those in whom the glory of God is found. What a tremendous privilege. Guys, in a few moments, um, Matt and Kirstine and Nick are, are going to come up and, and we're going to sing. But I just want to turn back slightly. And I want to remind us and I'm going to say it again. Um, I've said it many times, but I'm going to say it again. God says, I am with you. Therefore, be strong and work. I am with you. Be strong and work. Those are not empty words. Those aren't you know, motivational speech words or hyping up. They are rooted in rock solid truth. Absolute rock solid truth. I am with you, be strong and work. And as we do so, we have the privilege of watching and rejoicing God himself at work. And that's what I'm believing. I'm believing that in, in years and decades to come, you know, as we've looked, looked back on these people uh, and what they've done and how that's played a role in, in, in Jesus coming and, and our blessing, that there'll be other generations who look back and say, ah, oh, this group here understood that God was with them. They were strong and they worked. That's what God has called us to.